Welcome to Capital Radio by C-Funds. I'm Liz. And I am Lika. And in this podcast, we demystify the world of private equity and venture capital. As a globally active fund placement agency, every day we meet interesting people from all over the world. We want to share their stories with you. Our guests are experienced investors and fund managers that will tell us what it takes to enter the black box of private equity. Today's guest is Walter Knipkins. Walter is a partner and founder at Blaupark Partners and has worked as an investment banker at UBS Investment Bank, at a hedge fund and at a leading mid-market private equity firm. After his MBA, he tried his luck as a startup founder before transitioning back to financial markets and joining a family office. Walter holds a Master of Science in Finance and Investments, Control and Financial Management, a Master of Law in Financial Law, and an MBA with distinction from INSEAD. Welcome, Walter. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you here. Let's kick it off. Wouter, you, as discussed, you work for the family office Blaupark Partners. Um, did finance always interest you? And could you tell us a little bit about how you end up in the world of, of investing? Sure. It depends a bit on, on how far back you want to go. But I wasn't originally meant to go into finance. I was probably supposed to be a, a doctor coming from a, a family that was high on dentists and doctors. Mm-hmm. But during... I guess um, high school, uh, my parents gave me a, well, for a high school student, sizable, but I guess now I would say small portfolio of listed equities to play with. And this was in the time that um, internet was less prevalent than it's now. But that really caught my interest. Uh, it was 98, 99. So everything I, I touched obviously quadrupled in price, et cetera. So that's, that's <laughs> rather exciting. Sadly, I also uh, then encountered 2000 and 2001. So that was definitely a different experience, but at least that had piqued my interest in business and in finance. And then while I was a student in Rotterdam uh, doing business administration, I thought that lots of different aspects around business were interesting. So I considered strategy, marketing, finance, etc., At that point, I picked finance because I thought it was the most technical of the different specializations. And at that point in time, I figured that it would be easier. So naively, I guess, but I figured that it would be easier to start out with finance. And then if ever I would want to transition towards strategy or marketing or any of the other fields, that would be possible. Whereas I didn't see how one would start in marketing and then mid-career change and, and turn oneself into a, a finance professional. So that actually sealed my choice for some finance masters. And during my masters, I, I truly got interested in investment banking, which at that point in time, I saw as the pinnacle of what one could do as a graduate job. And I, I think maybe at that point in time, it might st- sound strange now, I, uh, times have changed somewhat. But I guess at that point in time, it might have actually also been the pinnacle. Uh, so uh, at that point, I I really tried to improve my luck and, and do what one can do to try and land interviews and internship and then eventually job uh, in investment banking in London. And from 
thereon, I guess, throughout then now the first bit of my career, it has always been pretty clear that uh, I am simply a, a finance heavy person with a lot of interest in finance. So even after my uh, stint in startup life, it was pretty clear that uh, I guess I, I belong in more of a financial role. Sure. So you weren't, weren't tempted to set up your own marketing or <laughs> marketing or strategy <laughs> agency. Excellent. Um, Walter, in 2012, you invested in Coinbase, which is a trading platform for cryptocurrency for our audience. And that gave your investment a, a huge return of 2,513 times. Could you maybe speak about how that investment affected you professionally? Yes, sure. And and actually, the, the effect... Uh, is very different depending on uh, geography where I am, I guess. Uh, so in the Netherlands, it was a rather well-read article in the Dutch Financial Times, I fear. Uh, so most of my meetings in the Netherlands, also with people that I don't necessarily know, might start with something about Coinbase because people might recognize me from that article. So, well, at least I guess it's a conversation starter. Internationally, it wasn't widely picked up. So in most of my meetings here, uh, it doesn't really play a big role. At times, my colleagues bring it up if they want to uh, underscore my, uh, my perceived Midas touch. <laughs> but uh, I typically try and stay away from the topic uh, myself. It does help a little bit in that uh, We've recently launched our own uh, venture fund next to the family office as well. And it's a fintech-related venture fund. So obviously, being part of the founding team and on the investment committee, it does help that I have a, a number of successful deals on my personal track records. So so I guess uh, there it does help a little bit. Yeah, I can imagine. And Coinbase is, like Liz mentioned, it's a crypto exchange platform could you tell us a little bit about your view on crypto if you if you have one and what you believe maybe the future of crypto has in hold for us yeah interestingly i, I have very limited views on uh, on crypto so i bought my first uh, bitcoins in 2011 and then yeah, my most successful investment ever has been the investment in coinbase from seed stage onwards and that typically makes people uh, assume that that I'm a huge crypto bull or crypto savant or or something <laughs> of the sorts. Uh, so at times people also come to me or us as a family office uh, for advice on crypto. And I think maybe for a family office we're we're somewhat advanced and we were early in early to the game. But I don't see us as as crypto experts necessarily, or myself as a crypto expert. I, I think I've. I'm definitely a late, uh, or I see myself as a late follower there. For us as a, as a firm, we typically see crypto as uh, uh, just one of the categories within venture capital. So it is one of the industries that we look at, uh, that we allocate to, but we, we allocate to crypto in a rather measured approach. It is a part of our strategic asset allocation. Uh, but nothing too outsized. And when positions do get outsized, and we were lucky that some of them turned into outsized positions, uh, we try and harvest some of those proceeds and uh, reinvest uh, into uh, earlier uh, crypto bets. So we, we typically see it mostly as uh, venture capital, 
I do see merit in quite a lot of the aspects of uh, crypto or, or blockchain technology. Uh, so it will definitely change a couple of aspects, but I'm definitely not uh, clairvoyant enough to tell you or, or relevant enough as a person to tell you where, where things would be heading. Yeah, it sounds very prudent, <laughs> Vulture. Like you said, it's, yeah, if you want to put yourself out as a savant, then that's probably quite risky. So nice to hear <laughs> that you're, um, yeah, that you are, I guess, yeah, allocating towards that, but also other kind of fintech opportunities out of the fintech fund you just mentioned. We understand that uh, really just operates in Southeast Asia, so w- where you are right now. Can you speak more about why you believe fintech in Southeast Asia is a good investment opportunity? Yeah, sure. And, and, and maybe partly it comes back to what, how this venture fund originated. So we started to do our own direct um, venture deals from the family office in 2017. And since then, we, we built a portfolio of over 20 investments. So it, it got out of hand a bit. It was a side activity that we had uh, and it started to take more and more of our effort and time. So that's why then we decided that we wanted to double down on this activity and establish the activity as a separate actual venture fund. Being based out here in Singapore, we have great access and, and views, I guess, of what happens in Southeast Asia. It's a region that quite a lot of people don't properly have on their radars, I guess. Uh, but if you look at the full region, the region itself is larger than all of Europe combined in the number of people. It's a region with extremely high growth rates. So the typical growth rate we see here in the region is around 6%. Uh, which obviously is very different from what a regular, I mean, obviously we've, we've had two interesting years in, in Europe as well, right? Uh, globally, but the typical European growth rates are obviously rather close to zero. So, uh, if all of a sudden you're active in a region where base GDP growth is, uh, 6%, uh, then obviously that does imply that quite a lot of other things that will do better than GDP growth typically. So the right sector and then the right team within the right sector quite quickly uh, start you off with uh, high double-digit growth. So being active as a, as a venture or any type of investor in a geography where, where baseline growth could be five to 10 times higher versus Europe, it does give you an interesting starting point. Also, one of the markets here that's, that's very nearby Singapore, and it's the biggest market in Southeast Asia is Indonesia, where people I don't think typically realize that it's uh, if I'm correct, it's the fourth most populous country in the world at this point in time. And for some reason, we Dutch forget a bit. While we have played a rather outsized and at times obviously somewhat uh, disappointing role in its history, but it's it's an enormous market. And uh, in all of Southeast Asia, you have a extremely young population, very internet savvy. So really willing to try and test new technologies, underbanked. So that's why also fintech specifically is quite interesting. So that, that I think, creates a very nice mix to be active in uh, from, a, from a venture capital point of view, but also just Asia itself. Just earlier today, I had a meeting with an Asian family office, and, and I half-jokingly said that people refer to this century as the century of Asia, but actually... We're back to a reversion of the mean. So we've had two centuries of the West, or maybe three centuries of the West, 
But before those three centuries, all the millennia before that were the millennia of Asia. And I think we are seeing reversion to the mean or the start of reversion to the mean where the next millennia will again be Asian millennia. Uh, So us being out here, we get some some early exposure to what I think is, is going to be the new normal. So that's part of our bet. Yeah. Sounds like a really good and logical reasoning indeed to be active in Singapore and, and the whole region of Asia in general. And maybe a bit back to where you currently work. So Blau Park Family Office, the I think the fund we just spoke about, also the FinTech Funds Resolution is part of that. And Blau Park as the family office, um, you use the example of Delftware Porcelain, which has both Dutch roots and Chinese roots. So I think this combination is clear that you use that. How did that originate originally? And what are, for example, the services that you offer to other families? Yeah, so our, our origins are actually as a, as a Dutch uh, single family office. Um, and then uh, when I moved to Singapore around seven years back, um, there was no big plan at that point in time to uh, to bring the Dutch family office into Singapore. Uh, but Singapore around, I guess, five years back, uh, started to actively promote itself as a hub for family offices, uh, set up a new fund structure, so accustomed to the Luxembourg or Cayman umbrella setup. So it, it offered an onshore fund structuring solution. It offered a, an interesting tax regime. It offered, I guess, a central location, which has a lot of attraction for uh, other Asian families as well. And it uh, works as a hub model for investments into Asia as well. So for me, that was quite a compelling case and pitch that I could make uh, to the single family, the Dutch family, in uh, why they would benefit from setting up the firm in Singapore, or for me then, I guess, setting up the firm in Singapore, the substance or presence was not an issue because I already lived there. And then for me personally, obviously running a Singapore-based family office for somebody living in Singapore is a lot easier than running a Netherlands-based family office from Singapore, given the the time difference. And I mean, I I don't want to repeat my, my previous story about Asia and Southeast Asia, but that obviously played a bit of of a part as well in building out an investment presence uh, for the family here. Um, What we try to do or are trying to do, and that's why we also call the firm a single family office for multiple families. So we try and be a a joint investment platform where multiple families could tap into the same investment expertise that the team brings to the table, uh, but share the cost of uh, of that team. So we would typically say that establishing a single family office is a rather costly affair. But if two or three or four single family offices can essentially share part of the same infrastructure, all of a sudden, the financial burden uh, is a lot more appealing or a lot less daunting, I guess, uh, would be the better description. And to that end, we had to go and get a license here. So we have the heavy fund management license. And that then allowed us uh, to also originate and set up and run our own funds open to third-party investors. So that's where Resolution Ventures originated from, I guess, with with us doing the micro VC fintech investing in-house and then deciding 
to set it up as a separate uh, separate fund with the license that that allowed us to actually make that move. Absolutely, sounds like a, the strategy, or I guess, really just has kind of evolved over time. Walter, that you didn't move with this kind of specific yeah, yeah pathway was, in it mind. Was, it was like uh, like puzzle pieces falling in place, right? So not not premeditated or or heavily planned, yeah, but just a fluke of luck, I guess. Excellent. And yeah, it, it seems to be working out quite well so yeah. far. Let's see. Yeah, you made the most of it, I'm sure. And I and I wonder if you could, I mean, other than the kind of high growth rates, I mean, I, th- I think the economic kind of growth um, story speaks to itself. But um, what do you personally enjoy the most about doing business in Asia? Um, I, th- I think one of the, well, but, it, but it also comes back to one of the reasons to move to Asia. And that is that there's a bit of a challenge as well. So you are, as a European, you're just outside of your comfort zone quite often dealing with Asian families, Asian family offices, Asian fund managers. It actually keeps you on your toes and you you keep learning and you keep seeing different perspectives. Whereas when I'm back in the Netherlands or Europe for that matter, it's typically like a like a warm bath where everything is recognizable. You completely understand where the other person is coming from, how it works, etc. I mean, it's just an example. Yesterday, uh, we had to go through uh, CVs, so we were lucky enough to receive a good um, few dozen of of CVs. And then I look at these CVs and. To me, I mean, yeah, all of them look extremely impressive, but it's very difficult for me to judge whether whether that is all fluff or whether whether there's real content there because I don't recognize the university that that the person has gone through, or I don't necessarily recognize their employer at times. So, yeah, that that makes it more challenging, but also more fun because then I sit down with my with my team and we, at times jokingly, but obviously with serious undertones, we go through all these uh, these CVs and we we try and find the right candidates then that then afterwards we try and uh, line up for for interviews but it, it can also be simple different uh, etiquette uh, right so eating rules are different or meeting rules are different so today uh, meeting the the other Asian family office I had to had to one bring business cards very important here <laughs> whereas in the Netherlands I never carry business cards mm-hmm. then you have to hand over your business card uh, holding it in two hands in a way that the business card is legible to the person receiving the business card. Mm-hmm. You need to receive their business cards uh, with your two hands as well. Pretend like you're reading it and pretend <laughs> to be interested, even if you're not. Uh, then you can definitely not just tuck them away in your wallet or crumple them up in your pocket. Uh, these things are supposed to be treasured, right? So these little things, they they might make life, I guess, more interesting than if if everything can be done on the autopilot. Yeah. Here, I mean, almost every move, the, the, the move as simple as handing somebody your business card is something that I need to at least be mindful of or think about because it is different from how I was probably taught to do it when I was young. So maybe that's not the type of answer you No, you I were think it's interesting. For, but, Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. a, and a question <laughs> jumps to mind, Walter, did you have to learn Mandarin as part of your move or is everything in English and Singapore? Uh, 
So every everything can be done in uh, in English here. Singapore has four official languages, and English is the main one. Uh, I would say some people might now frown, but uh, English definitely is the language of business. Uh, I've tried my um, my hand at Mandarin a couple of times. It it takes a lot of perseverance and and hours spent to master. I simply have not been willing to dedicate that time, if if even I have the qualities to to eventually make it. When we originally moved, so my uh, now wife at that point, I guess, fiance or girlfriend, I, I don't remember one of the two. But when we first moved to Asia, we actually first decided to learn Indonesian, which is easier to do than, than Mandarin. So that is actually a language where it's feasible to master it uh, with a with a reasonable time investment, I yeah, think. Yeah. I must admit that I, I lost quite a bit of it over the years trying to pick it back up but out, out of the regional languages i think indonesian and malay that's probably the more more friendly one mm -hmm. most of the others are quite daunting yeah. <laughs> well i i feel like dutch is quite daunting <laughs> uh, i can imagine learning, so. i can imagine and <laughs> yeah. and for dutch there's no reason to learn it right so that's uh, that also doesn't doesn't help yeah, well, I think, yeah, I, in my opinion, and I'm sure you find when you learn the language, you learn the nuances of the culture. So That's also true. Um, but maybe you don't need to be entirely fluent for <laughs> to pick those small <laughs> things up. Yeah, nice. And yeah, I think it's been really, uh, really helpful, valuable to hear you speak a bit about the strategy of Blau Park Partners, um, maybe looking forward. What is your vision for Blau Park looking forward into the future? Yeah, sure. So we hope to continue to grow our activities. So last year we launched our first uh, private equity pool, uh, which was an exciting event. We now do annual vintages. We're starting to do that within the venture space as well. Uh, we're going to add hedge fund capabilities. We are in the process of potentially setting up a European office. So then I guess we're going full circle, yeah. uh, coming from Europe basing our HQ in Asia and then establishing a, uh, a side office uh, back, in, back in Europe. Yeah, what I, what I hope for is that uh, we get to help a lot of uh, Asian family offices in setting up their family offices uh, here in Singapore. It's a nascent industry here. Uh, so we bring a bit of, I guess, more seasoned experience, but also to, to open up uh, Asia uh, for for European investors and European families, I think if if we manage to succeed in that, then it it will have been a worthwhile journey. So I'll hope for that. Nice. Looking forward to seeing that develop. Wouter, thanks so much. This was the first part of the interview. Now we will move to the second part, which we call the fire round, which also consists of two smaller parts. And we will ask you some really short questions and ask you also to answer in, in one sentence. So if you're ready, mm -hmm. we can get started. Sure, let's try. What is your morning coffee order? A classic hot chai latte. Nice. Cool. And if you had to have one superpower, what would it be? <laughs> I guess uh, seeing the future would be helpful in financial markets. <laughs> nice. And what book are you currently reading? Oh, I'm I'm bad with the titles typically because I read on an e-reader, but it's um, Blood and Oil uh, about uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. And finally, uh, name three traits uh, that make a successful LP. A successful LP. <laughs> Luck. 
I fear connections help. And then I guess a bit of diligence also helps. So luck, network, and diligence. Super. All right. Uh, and now we'll progress around to the fire round, Walter. So I'll just say a few topics. And if you can answer almost immediately whether you think that topic is either overrated or underrated. And so the first one I have for you is NFTs. Overrated currently. And what about a 2% GP commitment? Uh, well, that, that's an interesting one, whether overrated, underrated. I, I think that's the minimum. Uh, so I, I don't know whether that signifies overrated or underrated. I think it's very important. So okay. probably then underrated. Good. What about Twitter? Underrated. And in-person portfolio due diligence? Underrated. Uh, LinkedIn? Underrated. And then finally, uh, the Singaporean laksa noodle soup? <laughs> Overrated. I don't eat animals. <laughs> nice. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for your for your time, Wouter, on the, on the interview. It was great getting to know you a bit better and, um, and to get some good answers from you. Thank you for the questions and and thanks for uh, making me think also on the <laughs> on the rapid fire side uh, questions. <laughs> always fun, always fun. Thanks so much, Bazan. Thank you. Good. Bye bye.